Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. All right, we're going to do something just a little bit different today. I am going to, uh, I'm going to share the first part of our message, and then the band's going to come up. We're going to worship just a little bit more, and then I'm going to conclude. Because what I thought I would do is as we're wrapping up our series today, and it's the, we've called it Happy, and really what it is, it's a, a look at the Beatitudes. So the, the attitudes of the blessed attitudes, if you will, or the attitudes of our being and our living as we go through this life. And really the word, it, it can also mean this word of happiness. But not happiness as if it has something to do with external circumstances because it has absolutely nothing to do with external circumstances. In fact, it is the exact opposite of external circumstances. It is how we find happiness in this world. It's why, how we find contentment. It's how we find that true, that true soul-satisfying joy that we've been looking for. And Jesus says, as I start to unpack what I want for my believers, as I start to unpack the way I want my church to live, as I start to unpack what it's going to mean to live truly in relationship with me, let me start with this. Let me, let me, if you will, now he didn't tell us this is what he's doing, but let me, if you will, dispel a few things for you. That all of you that are looking for happiness in the current modern culture, it says this, this, or that. Because they had a current modern culture at the time. And it said, you know, maybe you'd pursue this, or you'd pursue that, or you'd have this, or you would get this and this in the right place. They had all the same things. It just looked different. For all of you who think that's how you will achieve happiness, that you will achieve contentment, you will achieve that soul satisfaction, that joy, then here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do. I want to tell you how you'll really find it. I want to tell you where it's really at. Because just like then, we do it now, we grab the building blocks of our life and we say, my career choice, my relationship, my family, my, my money, my house, my, my, my car, oops, my car, yep, that'll do it. And we, we do all these things, right? And now I'm going to be happy. And then all of a sudden, one or two of those blocks come out and we fall. And the whole thing's crushed and we're like, that's oh. And we go about rebuilding it again and boom, it's crushed, ah. And he's saying, look, you will live in the midst of all the external circumstances, but I'm going to tell you how to be happy, satisfied, joyful from the inside out. And it looks remarkably different than anything you've heard so far or any way you've lived to this point. Remarkably different. So he begins to unpack. As he unpacks it, he starts with, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will receive the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will will receive the kingdom of heaven. So he's saying, hey, here's how you, it starts. It's not about saying, if I just get this, this, or that. It's not about constantly rearranging your life. It's not about saying, I got this. It's not about one more degree, just a little bit more education, just a little bit more study. It is not about any of that. It's literally about the opposite. It's about coming to God and saying, it doesn't work. I've tried it. I've scanned the landscape. As I've watched people get to the end of their lives, it doesn't work. People aren't exiting this place happy. People aren't satisfied. People aren't fully content. And Lord, all I know is in my life, I've never been. 
Oh, I've had moments. I've had instances. I've had experiences. But there's no foundation. It just keeps going awry. It just keeps getting mucked up. It just keeps getting backward. I don't know how to get there. But all I know is my way of doing it isn't working. My way of trying to achieve this thing isn't working. And I need you. I need you. Because I keep hurting people. I keep messing people up. I keep messing my own life up. I need you, God. I need you. And his promise is amazing. He says, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. I know you've been on search for the kingdom of earth. I know you've been searching for all the external rewards. But here's what I'm going to tell you. You come to me poor in spirit and I will give you eternity. I will give you heaven. I will give you my kingdom. Now that would be good. That would be good. But it's more than that. To say I will give you my kingdom is to say I give you me. Because that is the kingdom of God. It is God himself as he extends himself to us. And wherever he is interacting with his people is his kingdom. You get God. Let me ask you something. Of all the things that can be wiped away, all the things that can be flip-flopped and shuffled around, all the things that you can look at and say, oh, if I only had one new this or a different one of that or, or the 2019 of this or, or the promotion over here or if I had the extra money in the bank account or, or if my kids, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. If my kids, if they would just start being like this and being like that, boy, I'd be satisfied. Or that wife or husband of mine, if I just had better one of them, matter of fact, I'm going to trade it out. It all just ends. It, it all at some moment goes away. It all, all of it, at some moment, fails you. I love my wife to death. I don't ever want to be without her. She fails me. I don't ever want her to be without me. But I fail her. I let her down. And God says, you're going to live in the midst of it. I'm going to give you incredible purpose in the midst of all of this. I'm going to use it to change people's lives. But I want to give you something that never changes, rust, rot, spoil, fades, will ever let you down. I want to give you me. And I want to walk with you through this life. I want to teach you through this life. I want to be with you and never leave you, never forsake you, never turn my back on you. I want to be your strength to get to the next day and the next moment and the next hour. I want to be that which defines that which is important and a priority and purpose. I want to be your God. He gives us the kingdom of heaven himself. And he said, those that are, that mourn will be comforted. And literally, when we look at the face of God, right? We talked about this. We're reminded. We look at the face of God. We realize what we've missed. We realize how we went our own way. We realize the, the sin and the muck of our lives. We realize how we've hurt other people. We begin to mourn those lost opportunities. We begin to mourn the loss of influence. We begin to mourn the time that we didn't have with God or living with purpose. We begin to mourn that. And he doesn't sit there and look over his pulpit and go, now, that's right. Because, you know, you're rotten people. You deserve to mourn. Feel the way you feel. It doesn't say that. It says they'll be comforted. This is the great father. He comes alongside of us and goes, yeah, yeah, you missed those ones. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yes, there's consequences in your life. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, there's pain that you're living with. Yes, absolutely. But I am the great comforter. I will turn what was meant for evil, and I will turn what was meant for bad, and I will turn it into something great, and I will turn it into something marvelous, and I will turn it into that which is good in the kingdom. I will bless your life. I will comfort you, and I will cause you to look in a new direction, in my direction. And then it says when we come to him and we're meek, and meekness literally means to submit our will and our authority to him, that we surrender our lives to him. And then it says then we can start to hunger and thirst for righteousness. That is literally the next right thing that God has for us. That's literally his right step, his right way. We begin to hunger and thirst for that, and what does he say? You will be filled. I mean, seriously, I want you to think about it for a minute. How many times have we ran after things in this life and they haven't filled us? How many times have we ran after the things that this life promised to fill us up and it didn't? How many times? And he says, listen, you hunger and thirst for righteousness? You hunger and thirst for the next right step? You hunger and thirst for the next right thing to do? You hunger and thirst for the right way to do it, my way? I will fill you up. I will point you. I will show you. I will guide you. I will teach you. I will set you on the path that will be the absolute righteous and holy path. I will fill you up. You will no longer be wanting for the next right step. You won't be. And then last week, Ben shared with us the next three. So those those four were really our positioning with God. Those four had everything to do with God's offer of salvation through Jesus Christ. He simply says, you don't have to do anything to work your way. I just simply receive you. Just come to me, poor in spirit. Lord, I need you. Lord, I'm at my end, and I want to be at your beginning. I'm with you, Lord. And he receives us, and everything else he lavishes on us is from him. He gives us mercy. He gives us grace. He gives us forgiveness. He gives us comfort. But then these next three that Ben talked about last week, right, which was uh, mercy and purity and being peacemakers, those are how we take what he's done in our lives and we live in relationship. Because, right, relationships steal our happiness all the time. Relationships wipe us out all the time. And he's like, now here's how you're going to live in relationship with others. Starting with me first, absolutely, but then with others. Here's what it's going to look like. Here's what that upside down, different type of living is going to look like that's going to bring you that heart, soul, satisfying joy that you've been looking for, that you've been running after. So let me help you. Now, I want to focus on one thing today in that list of three. Remember, it was merciful, and then it was purity, and Ben just knocked that one out of the park. I'm going to remind you what he said. And then it was peacemaker. I'm going to end with that, and then the band's going to come back up. So let's just go over it real fast. All right? Blessed are those, uh, I'm sorry, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, a couple things here about that word mercy. There's been some misunderstanding of it. And we want it to mean, we really, really want it to mean, blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. We really want it to mean that when I am merciful towards you, you're going to be merciful back. And yet we know that is false. We know that's a lie. We know that's literally a lie from the pit of hell because we have rarely ever seen it. Most of the time when we demonstrate mercy to somebody, they just slap us in the face. Most of the time when we demonstrate mercy to somebody, you might get a, a casual thank you or you might get a, hey, appreciate it, man, or whatever it happens to be, and then it's gone. And we oftentimes get hurt. The one who hurts us that we offer mercy and forgiveness to just hurts us again. 
what's this thing about? Blessed are those who are merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Well, what it's also not about, and it's not about receiving forgiveness from Christ. Because that is free. It could not be held in limbo. In other words, blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Because that is free. And it is in full abundance. The moment that we say, yes, Lord, I can't do this, forgiveness is there. It is an offering to say, all debt has been paid, has been wiped away by what my son did for you, by what Jesus Christ did on the cross, paying the penalty for your sins. You are completely forgiven. You do nothing to earn that forgiveness. You do nothing to earn your place in my kingdom. You do nothing for me to grant you the kingdom keys. I do that because I love you. So what is this mercy? Blessed are those who are merciful, right? But we'll be given mercy, plenty of mercy to use. We'll be given more mercy as we need it. To not only in our own life, but to administer mercy to others. Blessed are those who are merciful because we are not going to run out. Let's look at what that word mercy means for a couple minutes. And it says, uh, it's, it's it's being beneficial or charitable. You see, yes, forgiveness is a piece of the big umbrella of mercy, but it's not all that it is. There's forgiveness involved in that, but it's so much more. It's being beneficial or charitable. The basic meaning is to give help to the afflicted, to rescue the helpless. It is compassion in action. In essence, Jesus is saying, uh, look, the people of my kingdom are not going to be takers, but instead givers. They're not going to be condemners, but yet mercy givers. You see, the selfish, the self-satisfied, the self-righteous, they don't bother to help anyone unless they think something is in it for themselves. You see, we've been shown so much mercy. We've been given so much grace. We've had love absolutely just lavished upon us. And so we become the mercy givers. And God continues to bestow mercy upon us so that there's so much more to give. So much more to give. Those who have been faithful with little will be given little. Those who are faithful with much will be given much. Right? So we've been given these opportunities. We've been given interactions. We've been given people. We've been given relationships. We've been given influence. Are we merciful in those times, in those moments? Do we offer mercy to people? Do we give it freely without expecting anything in return? And when we feel like we're at the very end, when we've poured ourselves completely out, Jesus poured himself out in mercy on a cross, completely, utterly poured himself out, and he was given more. More to pour out, and 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 more to pour out. The Apostle Paul said, I was poured out like a drink offering is a beautiful picture because there's more to pour out, 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 there's more to pour out. You are never at the end of your mercy, but it starts by giving mercy just because the Lord has given it to you and he promises to give you enough to pour out. Mercy has given food to the hungry and comfort to the brokenhearted, love to the rejected, forgiveness to the offender, and compassion to the lonely. Mercy. Oh, I know we don't have time. I get it. I know we don't. And yet, blessed are the merciful, for they will be given mercy. 
In Lamentation, it says this, The Lord's loving kindness, his mercies, indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord has everything you need to be the merciful follower of him. There's physical mercy to be shown. Literally meeting the needs of others like we talked about. The physical needs. The team that's going to go down to North Carolina in two weeks, I hope you'll go. Hope you'll take a day off work and go down and show mercy to people that need it. We'll help meet some of their physical needs. And at the same time, we'll help talk to them about Jesus. Where all this comes from in the first place. Maybe it's a physical need of sitting with somebody. Maybe it's a physical need of food. Two weeks ago, some men gathered in the church to help a single mom move. In the rain. From the third floor. Of course we did. How many times has the Lord helped us move from one spot to another spot? From one place in life to another place in life? How long has the Lord, how often has the Lord offered his mercy to us? So we gather. What will it look like to offer a physical mercy to someone? Whether you believe they deserve it or they don't. Because Lord knows we did not deserve the mercy that God instilled upon us. Merciful attitudes. Mercy does not hold a grudge. It doesn't live in resentment. It doesn't capitalize on another's failure or weakness. And it never publicizes another's sin. Shut it down on Facebook. Shut it down on Instagram and everywhere else. That's not a part of the merciful kingdom. We don't do it. We don't do it. It's a vindictive, heartless, indifferent attitude that pervades our culture. It's not a part of the kingdom-minded person. It's just not. And tell me something. Do we find happiness in that? Ah, I'm going to let know when I think about that person. Oh, I feel so much better. No, you don't. You just blurted your mouth. You just got it off your chest. You don't feel any better. Whatever circumstance you have, it's still the same circumstance. You just made them feel worse. Showing mercy now. To be a whole lot different. Showing mercy is something that's not too common. Showing mercy releases you from the dependence of carrying that pain. Showing mercy releases you from the dependence of making them pay for what they did. An attitude of mercy. And how about mercy for the soul? Mercy for the soul. We care a lot about the external things in this world, the physical things in this world. We're willing even to show mercy for the, some, of the, some of the things in this world. We're willing to hip, hip, hooray. The, the good Samaritan who stopped on the, and went over and helped his enemy and showed mercy on his enemy and extended his resources, used his resources, stopped stockpiling them even for himself, even for a few days, but used them for somebody else. Hip, hip, hooray, the good Samaritan. Oh, we love the stories when somebody offers forgiveness in a situation where we're like, I don't think I could do that. So we're like, yeah, that's good. But what about mercy for the soul? Do we agonize? over the soul that doesn't know Jesus Christ? Do we want to offer mercy? Do we want to give ourselves no matter what the extent is because someone in our life doesn't know Christ and that itself breaks us more than anything else? That we want to offer our whole lives, everything we have, all our resources, everything that one person might know Christ. That I would sacrifice everything and anything in this life that one person might know Christ. That when I go to my time of prayer, my, I am aching in my heart about the people in my life that don't know Christ, for they are lost and they are helpless in this world. What was the definition of mercy? That to give to those who are helpless. 
Well, those without Christ are helpless to ever find the life that they were made for, to ever find that purpose, to ever have a relationship with God. They are helpless to have it. Does that bother me? Do I desire to show mercy? Does it make me weak in my knees sometimes that I would want to offer mercy, that I would care that much about somebody's soul? Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Jesus' last words from the cross were words of mercy. For his executioners, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. For the confessing thief hanging beside him, he said, Truly I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. To his mother, he said, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, John, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household and took care of her. Like the Lord, Stephen, the first martyr in Scripture, prayed for those who were taking his life. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Mercy. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure, those who seek God, not on the outside, even though it will look on the outside, but it's on the inside. It starts from that incredible place on the inside of us where we desire this amazing relationship with God. We desire to be sold out to God. We desire that we would love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And all that we do for the Lord, all that we do with the Lord, all that we do with one another comes from that amazing desire to have this pure relationship with God. It's a pure devotion. It is a single-minded devotion. Ben did an amazing job last week talking about that it's never about religion and the outside of the cup, but it's about what's going on in the inside of the cup that affects the outside of the cup. That our total devotion to the Lord, it will ripple out of us and it will pour out of us. The purity and holiness of our life will ripple into other people's lives. The pure devotion to our God and the care and compassion for the people in our life will ripple and pour out into people's lives. Never just about the religion or the check boxes or just doing something. It's because of how much we love Christ. Because of how much he has loved us. There's a purity to our devotion. A single-mindedness in our devotion to him. And finally, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. And it's not about just walking into your office and seeing two people arguing and go, hey, hey. Let me try to resolve this issue for you. Hey. No. No, that's not the peacemaking that Scripture's talking about here. It's not just about, uh, I'm not going to say anything this time because, you know, that's a little confrontational. And um, I don't, uh, that's not going to cause peace. So if I bring confrontation in here, then we're not going to have peace anymore. So no, I'm not going to say anything. That's not peacemaking. It's not the peacemaking that Scripture's talking about. Jesus himself was called the Prince of Peace. We're told in Ephesians, we're told in Colossians, we're told in other parts of Scripture that we, before Christ, are at war with God. We're told that there's a wall of hostility that separates us from God himself and that Jesus is the mediator. (laughs) That Jesus is the reconciler. That Jesus is the peacemaker between people and the living God. That only through him can we find peace. Which means this, think about it just in the most realistic sense, the most literal sense. That means that if we are with Christ, then everyone else in, their, in our lives who is not with Christ is at war with us. Because we are now sons and daughters of Christ, and the world is at war. People are at war with God without Jesus. Because he is holy and he is righteous. And that sets itself against everything that is holy and unrighteous. 
And yet he had no desire that it would stay that way. So his son came as the mediator to bring us into a relationship, to pay the penalty for our sins, to make us right, to justify us, to bring us to peace with God. And he said, now you are never more like me than when you go and make peace with others. When you go and bring peace into other people's lives. When you go and bring Jesus Christ into people's lives. When you go and sacrifice everything to bring Christ into people's lives. You are never more like him. You're never more like his son or his daughter than when you are living this righteous life. Bringing, people, bringing Christ into people's life as a peacemaker. The world needs peace and we hold the key to peace in each of our lives. So blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons and daughters. Literally, when we walk around sharing Christ, when we walk around living Christ-like lives, it, we are labeled, we are marked as the sons and daughters of the living God. And we hold the key to peace. It will always be God that does the work. It's always the Holy Spirit that draws somebody to him. So salvation always comes through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, not by our work. But we are to go be peacemakers. There you will find your great purpose. There you will find the life you've always wanted. There you will find something that never rots, never rusts, never goes stale or away. Daniel, come on up. You'll never find it. You'll find the life you had hoped for. The one you had wanted. You'll be peacemakers. Sons and daughters of God. Blessed are you, for you are happy. Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the way that you work in our lives. Thank you for the life you've promised us. Lord, that it is absolutely different. That while you want us to be at peace, we have to know that there is no peace without you. So help us, Lord. To bring that great peace into people's lives. That we be called your sons and your daughters. In your name we pray. Amen. Her name is Ruth. She's 22, 23 years old. And she uh, was given an assignment in school. She was in one of the first programs uh, out of the University of Guatemala to pursue a, uh, a, to give a master's in early childhood education. She was given an assignment by uh, one of her professors to go to one of the surrounding villages and to, um, to see what the educational situation was, to see if she could develop a program that would help bring a greater educational awareness and, and, uh, to, to, the, to the community and to the village. She didn't know what she was going to find, so she went out to this village. She picked Cruz Blanca to go to. It was about an hour and a half outside of Guatemala City, and she gets there, and uh, she, what she finds absolutely shocks her. She finds up to three generations of people who have never received any type of formal education. She finds that most of the, uh, uh, most of the village can't read, can't write. She finds that kids still at that current time weren't in school. She finds something far worse. She finds a people that were hurt. She finds a people that were helpless. She finds a people that did not know God. She finds a people that had an idea of God, but it was mixed in with all sorts of other superstitions and, and religions. It was mixed in with uh, native uh, religions. It was mixed in with um, well, it's a bunch of other things that were false about God and who God was. They were definitely harassed and helpless. Like when Jesus looked out on the crowds and saw sheep, 
And he said, they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And she showed up to a place where the harvest was plentiful. You see, she was a follower of Christ. She grew up in a family who constantly gave themselves and poured out mercy and gave themselves and poured out their resources and gave themselves and told people about Christ. They literally were peacemakers. They went throughout Guatemala and throughout Latin America sharing Christ with people. That was literally the mission of her family. When she showed up to this place to do a, uh, just a typical assignment for her college, for her university, she had no idea that God was about to grab her and say, I trained you for this. I prepared you for this. This is what your life is going to be about for the next few years. And she began a pursuit to love the, this village in a way that they had never been loved before, and they had no idea what to do with it. She began to go up there two, three times a week with another young lady. Her name was Mariella. And they would grab whatever other college students they could, and they would go up there, and they started this learning center in a, in a home. And what they did is they would teach kids how to read and their ABCs or, you know, start to write so she could get them into school and they could start to be successful. She convinced doctors to come up and give immunizations and checkups. And, and then she, when she would go, by her own expense, both driving there and bringing food to feed as many kids as she could because they rarely got meals throughout, each, throughout the week. And so she brought food with her. Soon there was well over 100 kids coming and she could no longer feed everybody. And so she just went with the faith that she had and continued to teach. She began to meet more and more families. The, the women and the grandmother and the mom started to be intrigued by what she was doing. They started listening. She actually got kids in school, and it was pretty exciting to see what was happening. She met this one family, and it turned out that it was the chief. He was literally called the chief of the village. And so he would have been like the mayor or whatever you want to call it. And he met, she met his daughter, who was about 16. And she began to share her faith, and she began to share what she was doing and why she was doing it. And that young lady at 16 gave her life to Christ. And the whole family gave their life to Christ. And they began to pursue and follow Christ and to learn all about what it meant to live with Christ, to have this life that we've been talking about. What does it look to be poor in spirit and to work our way all the way through and to see what God wants to do with our lives? What does that look like? It was an amazing thing that started to transpire and take place. So she showed up there one day in the house they were meeting in. It was uh, graffiti and vandalized. There was messages all over it. Get out of here. Take your faith. Take your message and leave. Leave us alone. You're not welcome here. You come back and we will kill you. We'll kill you. So the death threats started to come. They started to come more frequently. People showed up and literally yelled at her and screamed at her for being there and told her, don't show up. Don't come back. And she said, I have to come back. I got to come back. I built relationships with these kids. I built relationships with the moms and the grandmas. And I got to tell them about Jesus. They got to keep hearing the message. They got to learn how to read and write. I have to demonstrate and show mercy. I have to give myself to this. And so she would go day in and day out on the days she was supposed to be there, bringing the food, bringing the teaching, bringing the message, bringing the word, her and Mariella. And they would, the 16-year-old was learning right along with them. And she was starting to share her faith. They showed up there one day, went to grab the 16-year-old, and nobody answered the door. They weren't quite sure what was happening until somebody ran out and said, it's your fault. It is all your fault. You see, they had taken the 16-year-old and they beat her to the point of death. They left her bloody on the ground laying there until somebody found her. And she got to the hospital just before she died. I don't quite say that right. She didn't die before she would have died. 
That'd be enough to keep all of us out. Every one of us. I get the message. Nobody else can get hurt. Not because of me. Well, it had nothing to do with her. It had everything to do with Christ and what Christ had called her. It had everything to do with God and what God had called her to do. Everything to do with the fact that she was going to be a peacemaker and she was going to bring peace to, this, to these people. It had everything to do with the fact that she was living purely and purely seeking God from her heart of hearts, saying, I will be whoever you want me to be, and I will live however you want me to live, and I will do whatever you want me to do. That is my heart, Father, and I will follow you. And in meekness, she absolutely surrendered her life, and she was searching for the next right thing, and the next right thing was show up there the next day. And so she showed up at risk to her life. And she showed up again, and she showed up again. This wasn't a story from 100 years ago. This wasn't a story from 50 years ago. It wasn't a story from 40 or 30. It started 10 years ago, and it continues today. The last time I saw Root was about five years ago. The ministry has so much vitality. People are coming to know Christ. The word started to get out through other missionaries into the states. And resources and mission organizations started to team up with her. Kids are in school by the hundreds now that people from the states are paying for them to go to school. There's been mission teams to go into that village year around, helping them and teaching them. We were one of the first teams to go in, and it was right after the military had just left over a riot that was taking place right there. And the Lord blessed us, and we were saved. And we shared, and we shared, and we shared as much as we could. But the greatest thing we did while we were there was try to encourage Root. Press on. Continue. I know it sounds crazy, but keep going. Don't stop. See, here's what Root knew. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. People can say all kinds of evil for us for all sorts of reasons. Because we do something really dumb, because we hurt somebody else, because we live in a fallen, mixed up world. But blessed are you when you are persecuted because of me. When you live your life all out for me, when you live purely, when you live righteously, you will be persecuted. It will come your way. Arthur Pink had this to say about that exact subject. He said this. He said, we have no surer evidence of the Lord's blessing than to be cursed for his sake. It should not seriously bother us when men's curses fall on the head that Christ has eternally blessed. It should not bother us when men's curses fall on the head of someone who has been eternally blessed. It will hurt. It will cause us to shake a little bit. It will cause us to question at different times. It will cause us to step a little bit differently, but it should never cause us to step back. The fear of being persecuted, of having something taken from us. This passage says you will be persecuted physically. You will be persecuted with verbal insults. That's literally right to your face. The, 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 the wording here is a wording that would describe literally a word coming and just punching you in the face. It's the direct insult to put you down and humiliate you. But it also says false accusations. Those are the things that are said behind your back about you. And why does it come? It says it comes. Blessed are you when those things come because of me, because you're living righteously, because you're living purely, because you are seeking to be a peacemaker and bring the message of Jesus Christ, peace into people's lives. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for those reasons. Blessed are you when you experience persecution physically. 
Blessed are you when you receive insults. Blessed are you when people make false accusations about you. When people make false accusations about me, I go try to find them. And I tell them to stop. That's not what Jesus said. He said, blessed are you when they make false accusations about you because of me. For just as the prophets who came before you were persecuted, so shall you be. And what's your reward? The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom is yours. You can lose it all here. You can have it all taken away here. You can have it all beaten away from you here. You can be stripped of everything here. And the kingdom is yours. Why do we fear this world so much? We won't talk in our workplaces. We won't share for fear of offending somebody. We won't give somebody the opportunity to have peace because we're fearful of what might happen. Might lose our jobs. Might lose opportunities. Might lose financial rewards. Might lose it all if we're really going to be the merciful people, the peacemaking people, the pure in heart people, the single-minded people that we are called to be. Might lose it all. And yet, what do we gain? The kingdom of heaven. Because nobody can take that away from you. And the Lord will strengthen you and build you up. For where you offer mercy, mercy will be shown. You will have all that you need in this life to experience the life you've always wanted. To have true contentment, true peace, true hope is to live this way. The grace that you were saved by was costly. It cost Christ everything. It cost his life. Let us not cheapen it. Let let us not live it out cheaply. Let us not pretend that it's just something we can come and sit with. Let us not pretend it's something that can just make us feel better once in a while. Let us not pretend that that grace that we have been saved by, the blood of Jesus Christ that cost everything, the costly grace, we didn't pay for it, which made it even more costly. Let us not act as if it has no consequences on our life. Because what does it have? It requires our life back. The costly grace that we receive will cost us our life in return. Now, don't get me wrong. You can't buy salvation. But because of that great love, because of that immense mercy, because of the offering, because of coming poor in spirit and say, I can't do it, we give him our all. And it will cost us everything. John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It cost the Son of God everything. What will it cost us? Matthew 16 says this. Jesus said, If any of you wants to be one of my followers, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Life is definitely found at the cross. And it continues day in and day out. 
Blessed are the persecuted. But I want to end this morning in a different manner. And I don't want to talk to you necessarily. I don't want to leave something for you to go out with. I just want to give you a commentary on my own life. I want to share something with you. I started this message last Sunday. And I finished sometime today at 5 o'clock in the morning. And every day I had to look in the mirror. Every single day. And I had to realize this. I've never been persecuted. I've never lost anything for the gospel's sake. Oh, but, but Tim, you, you, I've never lost anything for the sake of Christ because of persecution. I get it. We may not experience physical persecution here like they are in other parts of the world. I get it. But there is a lot of persecution that's available. We're not supposed to go run after it. I'm not saying that. We're not supposed to go find it. I'm not saying that. But for those who live pure and righteous lives, persecution will be at their doorstep. For those who no matter what are peacemakers, bringing the truth of who Christ is into people's lives, no matter the cost, it hasn't cost me my life. And I hated to look in the mirror each day and to know the price that my father paid for me. To know the sacrifice of the the missionary, the saints, the people before me who did experience persecution that I might know him. To know the first brothers and sisters who were hung on crosses lighting Rome for our faith that it would spread. To know that every apostle and that hundreds of thousands of millions of followers long before I ever showed up on the scene were willing to have their lives persecuted because of what Christ gave them. And so this morning I want to say to you, I'm sorry. And I will be a more faithful follower. I want to surrender my life more faithfully. I want to pursue more opportunities. I want to run after being more merciful. I want to be a peacemaker. I just needed you to know that when I get up here, the Lord makes me look at my life. I'm never up here talking at you. I'm working through it with you. I don't know where you're at, and I'm not leaving you with a question today. I'm just letting you know where I am. Father, thank you for your great love. Thank you for your mercy and your forgiveness. Thank you, Father. I want the life that you've promised. And I know that you've given it to me. And Father, may I walk into it and live this amazing life that you've offered. Love you, Father. Thank you for this great church. In your name we pray.